Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Visit a live archaeological dig site on the very grounds where America began. Or walk the fields where our country was won. Live like a colonial by day or track 18th century ghosts by night. For all the history to be found here, there's plenty more to make for yourself. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. 911, what's your emergency? I can't find Captain Nash and his wife's cruise ship. Tonight, 911 comes to ABC. If we're going to make it out of here, we got to work together. Tonight at 9 on ABC, followed by 7 News at 11. She was hired to fix DC's 911 problems. It was the worst I'd ever seen. But instead says she was fired for exposing the failures. The blame belongs in leadership. Now the I-team digs into what fueled the mayor's decision. Tonight on 7 News at 5. Hey, this is Duray. We're going to pass to other people. In this episode, it's me, DR, Kaya, and Miles talking about all the news that you don't know with regard to race, justice, and equity in the past week. The news that you should have heard about, but didn't. Here we go. Family, welcome to another episode of Pod Save the People. I'm Diara Ballinger. You can find me on Instagram at Diara Ballinger. I'm Miles e. Johnson. You can find me on Instagram threads, TikTok. Twitter at Feral Rapture. I'm Kaya Henderson on Twitter at Henderson Kaya. And this is DeRay at DIY on Twitter. Well, we're going to start with political hot takes. The first being the expulsion of formerly known as Congressman George Santos. Did we ever really know George Santos's name? Is his name, in fact, George Santos? I feel like there was even... Everybody knows his name is Diva Down. <laughs> <laughs> was was that his name in Brazil when he was a drag queen? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, the House voted last Friday to expel him over ethics violations. He's only the sixth lawmaker ever to be ousted from the chamber. So this resolution was passed with 105 Republicans in favor of the expulsion. And then the top GOP leaders, of course, voted for this man to stay. I will give it to him because there have been several attempts to remove him. And somehow he has moved and snaked his way around those attempts. But yeah, so, you know, Kathy Hochul, who's the governor of New York, she's going to schedule a special election to replace him. Hopefully we'll, we'll get a Democrat in that seat. I think that seat, though, is fairly Republican anyway. I think it's in Long Island. What I found most interesting about this is like how much press it got. And even you would see him leaving the Capitol building and he'd be surrounded. Like It looked like paparazzi. And I was just like, what is it about this dude and his shenanigans that have really cultivated and built this momentum for him to build this profile? I didn't think the paparazzi were following him because he was so exciting. I think, I mean, this this whole George Santos thing was really an affront to our democratic process. Like before he even took office, we knew he lied. We knew he was stealing money. We knew all of these things and we just let it happen. And I think there are a lot of people, regular John and Joan Q publics who think we live in a country where like law and rules still matter. And this was just complete and total flouting of all of that. And I think I think even the press, that how we even found out about George Santos first was some little local press person on Long Island who was like, hey, hey, wait, wait, stop. This man is a fraud. And then later, the New York Times picked it up and da, da, da. But like, I think the press was like, this is where we actually matter, where we have something to say and where what we do like makes change. And it wasn't making change. So I will say two things. One is that this reminds me that most elections are high school student government competitions. Like they are a popularity contests. And what Santos did really well is that his cacophony of lies just played on what people think success is. And a reminder that if you look a certain way and move a certain way, people just believe you. Let me highlight some of my, some of the most interesting lies. He claimed that he was a former Disney actor and that he had roles on the Disney Channel shows such as Hannah Montana. That was not true. And his communications director refused to respond to that. He also said that his family escaped the Nazis, to which his team later clarified that he was, quote, clearly Catholic. 
that his grandmother told him stories about being Jewish and converting to Catholicism. He also said uh, that he was a dog rescuer and ran an animal rescue charity called Friends of Pets United. Um, That was not true. He had volunteered at a dog shelter place. (laughs) (laughs) He said that he was (laughs) the landlord of 13 properties. My favorite is his team replied, Um, that he was far from having an extensive property portfolio. He was actually in debt to his landlord. Uh, The last ones is that he said that he was a seasoned Wall Street financier and investor holding jobs at Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. After he was elected, he said, and I quote, he never worked directly for Goldman Sachs or Citigroup and that he graduated from Baruch College. Uh, and he confessed that he did not graduate from any institution of higher learning and quote, used a, or, and used quote, a poor choice of words. But again, he nailed every lie that people understand as being success. Uh, and in that way, he really did play the system well in lying. Uh, First of all, let me tell you, I don't ever want to be on the side of one of DeRay's I'm going to read you all the things list. Yeah, (laughs) DeRay, one of them people, you get in an argument and they come out with a little notepad. You're like, oh, you were taking notes the whole time? Oh, I thought we were buddies. Um, As somebody who has applied my creative writing skills to a resume before... Um, it, what I think what's really interesting about George Santos is that is that he got caught is that he that he's no that he's no longer there because he actually fits right in with what's going on um, with the Republicans. So it's it to me what's more interesting is is how extreme he must be lying and how extreme he is lying um, for him to get kicked out because. We're 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 still having to speak about a, a potential Trump presidency. So we know that lies and frauds and and misinformation is not what gets you get your political power taken away. I think that he was less connected and less valuable, and he overvalued himself, and his lies became bigger than the the power that he was um, attracting. But I, I, you know, I'm always going to just remind people this is not a a, a moral save by Republicans. It's just that he just wasn't significant enough to protect any longer, in my opinion. I will say stunt queen until the end, because (laughs) when he got up on that podium and the man before him, if you remember, he actually defrauded another congressperson. He like racked up um, credit card bills. Yeah. On campaign finance charges. He like over donated to the campaign. He charged the person's credit card too much. So the guy gets up and testifies and says, you know, he's a crook. I've been personally victimized by him. Santos gets up after him and says, I want that stricken from the record. The chair says, your request to strike it was not timely. I want to remind everybody to, like, behave. And then Santos gets up and says, my distinguished colleague is accused of beating women. And he says it so, he's like, I'm going to take everybody down around me. But he says it like with no irony, like no. And the man, there's a black man sitting behind him whose face is like, what is going on? What? But it's like you bring a clown to the circus. What do you expect? And baby Santos, I'm interested to see. And did you see he filed those ethics violations against all yes. those other people? He's he's not going quietly into the night. He's like, well, I'm going to take y'all all down with me on my way out. And this is my my girlfriend says play thug games win thug prizes. I feel like the Republican Party is winning some thug prizes with George Santos. Goodness um, gracious! Also, did y'all see that uh, the tweet with Z Way, comedian, comedian, actress, internet person, Z Way, Deray's friend. Deray's friend. Oh yeah, I forget every, <laughs> every other person I I want to I want to gossip about. F O D F O D. Right. <laughs> I, you what, know, does, what does Z Way say? She um invited to have. So you know Z Way has like these conversations. You did you see the thing with um Deray? You did, Auntie Kaya. 
I know uh, the the Deray conversation with Z. Yes. So you yes, know, I'm, I saw so that. I'm uh-huh. just establishing yes. that you know her her interviewing yes. style. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. she so she invited um, him on her show or to have a conversation because I don't think she has a show on Showtime anymore. But have a conversation with um, George Santos, and of course, to me. You know, Z-Way and comedians who do politically slant things specifically now are always a little shady to me just because it's a fine line. Oh, I don't want to say she's shady, but it's always just a fine line between what are we critiquing and what are we platforming, you know? And I think because George Santos is such a ridiculous person, I totally get why somebody who has the comedic inclinations of Z-Way is like, no, I want George Santos on and I want to talk shit and I want to... um, kind of feed the ridiculousness with more ridiculousness. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like this this era is is taking away my um taking away my sense of humor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, do not play with that man. Do not make him seem cuddly. Do not uh absorb him into the ma- the the mainstream and make him seem like another harmless or make him seem like a harmless, weird political figure. And to me that's what Z Way does because that's as awkward as her show and her styling is, it does rehabilitate people's character as well. Um, and I think, you know, we, we can be more responsible with, with our platforms and what we do with it. But also, I'm lying because if she does it, I'm going to watch it. So maybe... <laughs> maybe... Mm-hmm. It's going to be a fascinating episode because you get no prep. And... You you didn't she know just, anything she was gonna ask you. No, they were. I got. They were like, she's gonna ask you about activism. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's not. Well, okay, like that. That was clear. Yeah. So I knew that was it. And the producers, I met with the producers, and they like talked through some things. So they were like, hey, is it the is it one vest or is it you know like they were they asked some like fact based questions to just see like what was up, but I, but the stuff they asked me about, they didn't even, she didn't ask me about it in the end. So no, it was, you know, the saving grace for him is that she'll record probably 50 minutes and whatever she puts out will only be 10, you know? But it's not on Showtime anymore, so that's not going to be it. She's probably going to go 50 minutes and upload that to YouTube. (laughs) Like at one point she literally says, DeRay, she looks straight at me and she goes, I want you to sing the Black National Anthem and just stares and we're, we're filming. And I'm like, what are, like is this a test to see if I know the words? Like, girl, what is going on? That's what you're supposed to just like, say, crime mob. Right. I know. I could. I, I my mom wasn't even working fast enough to sing something that wasn't it. But like, luckily, I know the words. But I was like, oh my god, this is. And then she brought up eight can't wait, and she goes, you know, I heard there was a lot of controversy with eight can't wait. I was prepared to talk about that. She goes, name me eight. I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this girl is out to get me. I knew them though. Let me just tell you. <laughs> <clears throat> In other political news, we got Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom debating. Did anybody watch it? Right, me neither. And Ron DeSantis is having a bad week. He apparently got creamed in the in the debate, right? Yeah, but I, and I didn't know that Nikki Haley's doing well. Somebody said Nikki, Nikki Haley, Haley's doing Nikki well. Haley I haven't heard of Nikki improving. Haley at all. <clears throat> she and Ron DeSantis are tied neck and neck in Iowa. So Trump has 45% of the, is polling at 45%. And Nikki and Ron are the next two after him, both tied at 18%. So there's some machinations happening in the, in the Republican Party. But they also, I mean, 45 to 18 as your closest opponent is a little bit of a problem. And there was a lot of chatter this week about how a second Trump presidency will be even worse than a first Trump presidency, that it will literally break democracy. And I think, Giara, you were mentioning earlier Liz Cheney's new book and part of, she takes up that. There's an article in The Atlantic. There's an article in The Post. There are all of these articles talking about how like literally a, because Trump is already saying, you know, this is about retribution. He is going to, you know, like break the government. And there are no, many of the guardrails and, and checks and balances that are put in place, including Congress, right? The the Speaker of the House is one of his key collaborators that like all of the guardrails that are put in place to rein in what could be, you know, a president out of control are completely gone or are completely leaning in his favor. And so 
it's about to be a problem. In fact, Liz Cheney says she'd rather see a Democrat win than a Republican. And you know, the repubs already don't like her, but uh, it's <laughs> about to be on know. and popping. Liz, you got security, girl. Can we help? And I think I think what was interesting about some of the, the, the coverage and the feedback on DeSantis and Newsom is that Newsom really held Biden's mantle. And I think, I, I don't know, wh- where it takes me to, and this is separate and apart from how everyone's just generally feeling about the administration. And so this is just like a very in a vacuum comment, um, is that I think that's what Biden would need is a bunch of mouthpieces that are at least you know, respected and have a record where um, that can almost sort of legitimize him and also, you know, just get him a little bit closer to the people, given that, you know, I think the the last thing we want to see is is Biden in a debate necessarily. So I don't know. I just I, I saw I just I don't know that that really spoke to me as like maybe Gavin is Gavin Newsom is somebody that, that the campaign should really get activated. I think he's serving as some type of advisor or something like that, but um, just having a, a whole roster of people that can be as strong as him, I think could be really helpful to the administration. Whatever do you mean when you say um, Biden is the last person that we will want to see in a debate? I, I, I don't know if I understand you clearly, Diara. Well, what I'm saying there is that I don't think we need to give any more ammunition to to anyone, particularly the GOP, um, around Biden's decline. I think he would perform just fine, but I think there is, you know, a culture of ageism, et cetera, and that no matter how well he performed, it would still be seen as he is so old. What are we going to do? Oh, I love having lawyer friends. How'd I do getting around that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was, oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> 360 degrees around it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're listening to Pod Save the People. Stay tuned. There's more to come. Starting to get dizzy from the polar coaster or nauseous from watching the 2024 Republican primary? Good news, you got something better to do. Join the Vote Save America community for all the tools you need to take action in this presidential election cycle, from volunteer opportunities to making sure you're registered to vote. Head to votesaveamerica.com backslash no off years to find out how you can get involved today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, what's the first thing that you'd do if you had a ton of extra time in a day? Maybe I take a nap, go for a run, talk to some friends. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Now, the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, help you process the world around you, help you think through the most important things, how you spend your time, where you spend your energy, especially your emotional energy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com people today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash people. Pod Save America is brought to you by Helix Sleep. How long have you had your mattress? For most people, it's probably time for an upgrade, right? Well, Helix has exactly what you need. Everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Take the Helix Sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. Helix has models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions, plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they've got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support. Uh, I have a Helix mattress in our guest bedroom. Mm -hmm. Every single person who stays with us says, that bed is so comfortable. Where'd you get it? You know what I say? Where do you say? Helix. I love my Helix mattress. I have a Don Lux. Don Lux. It's very comfortable. 
So Lux. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash crooked and use code helixpartner20. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened, but soon a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondery's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states and Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, the Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. My news this week comes out of the city of brotherly love that is demonstrating some not so brotherly love uh, towards its black and brown people this week. The Philadelphia City Council passed a bill that bans the use of ski masks in parks, schools, public transit or other city owned buildings. Um, Ski masks. Yeah. Um, a little, I, I learned something in this article. Did you know that ski masks were called shysties after Memphis rapper Pooh Shysty, um, who uses them in his, right, Pooh Shysty, who uses them in you his, You said yes. Pooh Shysty is hilarious. Listen, <laughs> I, I can't help it if I'm an auntie, it is what it is. Uh, and so, yes, people can't wear shysties in, in Philadelphia because they will be fined $250 for each offense and up to $2,000 if a mask is worn during the commission of a crime. Um, as you can imagine, like many cities, um, there have been an uptick in crimes across the country. In 2020, in Philadelphia, there were an uptick of crimes by perpetrators wearing ski masks. And the police complain that ski masks complicate policing because it's easier for criminals to conceal their identity. As you can imagine, opponents of the bill have a very different uh, take on that. Um, But just as a point of fact, not everybody who has on a ski mask and is stopped will be given a citation because officers have the power to intervene when they think something bad is about to happen. Say what now? Uh, This sounds like stop and frisk to me, Um, but it is, you know, it, it puts a ton of discretionary power in the hands of police um, who can assume that something is about to go down because you have on a ski mask. Now, there are some glaringly obvious, you know, moments where this makes sense, right? They talk about people having ski masks on in 80 degree weather and standing outside of stores and whatnot. But that's not what we're talking about here. Um, this is clearly an attempt to criminalize black and brown people in the city, Um, The ACLU representative says, of course, this is not going to decrease crime. All it will do is endanger innocent people of color. If Philadelphia was serious about curbing crime, says the ACLU, they would put money and resources in place for mental health, housing, childcare, after-school programs, education, and all of the other things that legitimately deter deter crime. Um, But at the end of the day, ultimately, all this... um, law does is authorize police to make unlawful and unconstitutional stops. DeRay, it reminded me of the statistic that you told us at one point, how most police deaths, most police killings um, start out with a traffic stop or most police misconduct are a result of a traffic stop. And so the question is, I mean, I understand the climate in cities where crime is running rampant and where people want something to be done. 
Um, my understanding is that this is part, uh, this is also a part of the DC crime bill, which is coming up for discussion. Um, I hope that that's not the case. Like we got to stop with this window dressing stuff to try to make people feel good about crime. Ski masks, that's not the thing. And it is about criminalizing black and brown young people mostly. And so I don't know. I just brought it to the pod because DeRay sent it to me and because <laughs> because at the end of the day, we should be beyond these Band-Aid solutions where we have evidence already that they don't work. There's there's tons of evidence about stop and frisk. And DeRay, you can speak better to that than I do. But um, I understand our desperation to do something about crime. This is not the something that we need to do. Yeah, so this definitely reminded me, I love that you uh, you mentioned uh, Stop and Frisk, but it reminded me of the Walking Wild Trans Bill and how I can see the blurred lines between what is considered a ski mask, now is a scarf that's covered a certain way in these cold cities considered a ski mask. Um, and then also, like to your, to your point, these... These these band-aid solutions to bullet wounds. It's 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 a conversation around poverty. It's a conversation around the ownership inside of communities. Ownership meaning feeling belong to the community. There's these other bigger systemic issues that we have to address. So what I find really interesting here, and I I watched the debate about this happen on Twitter, and it was interesting because you know, and I am not mad at people when they reach wild conclusions, Black people, that is, because uh, I'm like, as organizers, we got to tell better stories. But people are confusing. They don't want people to wear ski masks. Well, it should be a crime. Those are similar, but not the same. So I see a lot of, I saw a lot of Black people in Philadelphia be like, y'all know these masks are crazy. It's, it, people wear them when they hot outside, up to no good. Like, believe all those things. That is, I'm not, I'm with you on that. Criminalizing it does something very different. And the idea that the police can just say you had on a mask because the burden of proof for the police is in the toilet. So they can just say Kaya, Kaya can have a mask on her person and they can say she wore it and you're just stuck. Unless you have a video, you are just hemmed up. Like you are literally in a process. So I'm, I'm nervous about that. And I'm nervous about, um, you know, the fine because you find people, they can't, they already put, can't pay the fine. And then now we have people, we're like literally criminalizing people. And even if you hate masks, do you think that a kid who wears a mask to the mall should sit in jail for wearing it? No. Like that that feels like a wild thing and that and not paying the $250 will lead to a bigger consequence. Like that is the way this works. Uh I the other thing is that masks aren't killing people. Guns are killing people. So if you wanted to ban a thing, ban Ow, like we should come on. this should renew the conversation about banning guns, right? Like that makes sense to me. You should ban guns. Or if you really want to ban ski masks, ban the production of ski masks and you know, like just like we did with plastic straws. It's like you can't sell like but criminalizing the person actually doesn't get you closer to the thing. It actually just gives the police a much broader net by which they can harass people. And all these people would be mad when it's their child getting pulled over and arrested for being a kid. You know, kids are going to wear ski masks. Like it is, it just is sort of a thing. And as you all know, people who have been victims of crimes, there are a lot of people who commit crimes who don't wear no masks, don't wear no, you know, like, and there are a million other ways to cover your face that are not a ski mask. Some so, of them get sworn in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Let them know. And I think it's also just like how rooted in data is any of this. I just feel like, and also this, this law seems pretty unconstitutional to me as well. This, this what, what they're trying to do here. So I just feel like what, what are we balancing? Say it, counselor. Like, what are we balancing against? Like, it's just, Oh, I got an idea. Here's what I'm about to do. Like, and that's really what it, what it's giving. It's not giving. This is based in any type of, you know, you know, just just to everyone's point around, like, this isn't the fix. Like, it's not. It's just like another, it's it, it's something that a mayor is probably pushing because they had run on, you know, a tough on crime type, type of approach. And so this is something they can check a box on. So this just, it just seems silly to me. But I will say this, you can walk down the street with a ski mask on when I'm on the street, if you want to, I'm across the street or I'm going to say, let me see your face. So. 
So when I was first reading about this, it reminded me of the Walking Wild Trans Bill. And then I was wondering, and I wanted to like bring this to you all, does this kind of open the the, the door for more discrimination um, if because this is being implemented? So can now we're talking about ski masks, but then could this now go over to as we already seen drag show bands and things like that happen, can can these things now spread now that there's a um now that there's just like a standard for for this type of merging this into law? I just think that any type of the criminalization of clothing is how we get the murder of Trayvon, right? Like it, mm-hmm. the line is so clear. It's like a hoodie is dangerous. Mm-hmm. A hijab is dangerous. Mm-hmm. A ski mask, it, like everybody can make a case for- A Palestinian like a, scarf is dangerous. Is da- it like it, And you, you know what's never dangerous? Some white people wear. That's you know, like right. that is the, that's the way it works. It's a, a pea coat- not dangerous. You know what I mean? I think about the way these people have robbed communities and none of that's dangerous. But John like Deere. everything. Yeah. You know, camouflage, band camouflage. I get mm. nervous every time I see one of them camouflage trucker hats. What you I'm, trying to I'm hide from, Bob? I'm trying, right. I'm trying to cross the Confederate flag, ban all them shirts. That makes me nervous. You know what I mean? Right. But I'd also would say no one's going to stop wearing a ski mask to commit crimes. Because again, you can't identify them. So it's just, again, doesn't make (laughs) any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. Again, there's like no connectivity to like what what you want, what what the actual, what outcomes that you want. It's, there's just no connectivity for me. And it makes, yeah. That's a really good obvious point, uh, Ziara. That's like a really good point because it's like, if you're already about to commit a crime, (laughs) <laughs> you're not going to take the ski mask you're off like, oh, and say, well, let, let me, me take this, this ski mask off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Come on. So my news um, is about um, something that's happened in Ohio. And my preface to it is that, you know, sometimes the news seems so fantastical that people don't understand the assault that is happening on your rights. That like, you see it in the news, you, you, people have heard about the abortion might be illegal and women's bodies are being politicized. Like that talking point sounds like a talking point to a lot of people because you don't see it in practice and those are not the stories that get lifted up. But I'm telling you this story today of Brittany Watts, who is 33 years old, Wait, you might want to warn people that this may be triggering to some people because this is quite graphic. That was the warning. Kaya gave us a trigger warning. Um, This is about Brittany Watts, who is 33 years old. She is being charged with abuse of corpse. She miscarried. 22 week old. uh, At 22 weeks, she miscarried. Uh, She miscarried the baby while she was in the restroom and tried to plunge and flush the remains down the toilet and it got stuck in the pipes. The coroner's office removed, in conjunction with the police, removed the toilet and took it to their office. And they have essentially charged her um, with the version of, um, it is not murder, but the, the statute in Ohio reads, and I quote, no person except is authorized by law shall treat a human corpse in any way that would outrage reasonable community sensibilities. Now, the idea that she is charged with the crime after undergoing one of the most traumatic experiences of her life is so wild that it almost doesn't seem like this is real life. And there is no way to think about this that is not trying to control a black woman's body, that is trying to send a message to people. I don't even know what the message is besides we have power and you don't. Like, I... I can't even find like a complicated thing here. This just seems like such an affront. Um, and the idea that the expectation would be that she would have to carry the remains to the coroner's office herself is such a wild thing. And as you read the statute, the standard being reasonable community sensibilities, I'm a reasonable member of the community. And I am like, 
I'm trying to figure out how to get her more resources to support her through something that I understand to be pretty traumatic. That is my, so my reasonable sensibilities are like, wow, she just had to deal with something that is unbelievably hard. Not she just committed a crime. The last thing I'll say about this is that, you know, at Cambazer, we spend all day in policies and laws and the looseness of laws like this just allow people to be taken advantage of because the crime is shall treat a human corpse in any way that would outrage reasonable community sensibilities. Now, I don't know whose community they are referencing, but it certainly is not mine. This is so bizarre to me. It's so bizarre to me. I mean, just put yourself in this lady's shoes for a minute. Like a 22-week fetus is like, I don't know, five months, right? Like a, a five, you're five months pregnant and you learn a few days before that your baby has died inside of you and you are going to have a miscarriage, right? Like all of that is devastating and horrible and terrible and crazy. And it happens and you, I mean, as you said, right, you're supposed to fish the fetus out of the toilet. Like toilets are where lots of miscarriages happen. It is like, and and then be charged for it. Like this is so bizarre. And it and and this lady didn't have an abortion. She didn't have an abortion. Like if you want to be mad about abortions, be mad about abortions. This lady did not have an abortion. This lady's baby died, died inside of her. And our way of handling that is to arrest the mother for not appropriately disposing of the body. How many people know how bodies are supposed to be? The fetus is supposed to, uh, this thing is beyond the pale, right? And and I, I don't know what Brittany looks like, but I have a guess. I don't know why, why they chose her to make an example out of, but this is absolutely outrageous. And if there's a legal defense fund, let me know what it is. Cause I got a couple nickels that I'd be happy to send to help defend this woman. This is outrageous. I think this also just goes to even our earlier conversation around the ski mask. It's like, we are not seeming like a society that is cultivating our culture. And as an extension of that, our laws and our processes to be thoughtful around humanity and human beings and suffering. So if if the goal is always punishment, if the goal is always finding fault through kind of a a black or white approach, there's no humanity or love or dignity or understanding in that. Like, I have so many questions around this and so many questions around just her well-being. And my news is about, you know, Black women's health and the attack on that. And it's just, you know, we are a society that both in practice and in our systems show we don't value Black women's bodies in particular. So it's it's just interesting to see to see things like this to see how 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 that how that is practiced. I will just say, um, you know, the Republicans spend so much time talking about crime, and you're like y'all are spending a lot of resources on things that are truly not crimes. Like if 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 burglaries and murder, all that stuff is if it's so bad, you shouldn't have time to do to even waste on making this case up out of thin air. And here we are. And this, and I'll say this because this is what reminds me of one of Brian Stevenson's cases of um, I don't know if y'all remember this, Marsha Colby, and I and it was in Alabama, but she was convicted of capital murder when she gave birth to a stillborn baby. Like what? Yeah, it just seems like like the fact that these situations are seen as anything other than, like, healthcare system crises, like, like, the fact that we're not connecting those things, it just seems just wild to me that our, the the road that we go down in, 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 in America always seems to end with prison <laughs> and not, this is a healthcare crisis, how do we get more Black women care? How do we um, ensure, if we already know the, that this, this Black woman's body is going through this. How do we ensure that she has the care that she needs? How come we we aren't panicked when we hear something like this and say, uh, wh- where are the mental health professionals and stuff like that? Because it's hard to read this and not, for myself, need, you know, like, need a, need a breather, let alone, like, actually going through it. Um, it it's, 
it's it's just wild that it just seems like in every in every corner it's punishment over um, restoration. Don't go anywhere. More politics. The people's coming. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1-Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, the Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life. Maybe that's yourself to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. going to jump into my news because it's from the 19th backlash to affirmative action hits pioneering maternal health program for black women. These black women organizing on their own, trying to take matters in their own hands, (laughs) running these incredibly helpful programs that are now under attack. So Brianna Jones, a young black mother in San Francisco, is supported by a program called Abundant Birth Project. And the whole program is designed to counter Obstetric racism. Researchers say it leads to a disproportionate number of African American people to die, die in childbirth, which we've, talk, we've talked about repeatedly. The project has provided 150 pregnant Black and Pacific Islander San Franciscans $1,000 a month as a monthly stipend. This money has enabled Brianna, who's 20, to pay for gas, to drive to prenatal clinics, buy fresh fruits and vegetables for her toddler son and herself, and remain healthy as she prepares for her second child. And what's happening now is that the future of Abundant Birth Project is, you know, under this cloud by this looming lawsuit alleging that the program, the first of its kind in the nation, is illegally discriminating by giving the stipend only to people of a specific race. The lawsuit also targets San Francisco's guaranteed income programs serving artists, transgender people, and Black and young adults. So as we know, the litigation is part of a growing national effort by conservative groups to eliminate racial preferences and wide range of institutions following the Supreme Court's ruling a few months back. In healthcare in particular, these legal actions are threatening efforts to provide scholarships to minority medical school students and other initiatives to get, you know, physicians of color into the medical system. And we've covered this ad nauseum as well, how much a black doctor, not even a black doctor that's seeing patients, just a black doctor in the town, how much of a difference that makes for health and death outcomes for those black folks in that town. So I just wanted to bring this to the pod because I feel like a lot of this is kind of happening under the radar. And I've talked to a lot of my friends that are, you know, at really big institutional foundations who now are having to shore up a lot of lawyers and a lot of legal advocacy to make sure that their grantees continue to get grant money. But it's all under the guise of the Supreme Court's recent ruling. And things like this, like $1,000 a month, What a huge difference that 
can make to to anyone. Right. But in particular, classes of people who have historically not, you know, not been able to have upward mobility for several reasons. And a lot of those reasons are manufactured by the United States government. But really, I just I really would like to find out, like, how we can get more of these stories on everyone's radar, because I think what's going to happen, because, you know, the Republicans are slow and steady that we're going to look up in five or six years, and a lot of these programs are going to be gone. So I just wanted to bring this to the pod, highlight it so that we can, as a community, start to bring these up to one another, try to figure out how we can be supportive. The only thing I'll add is like, what is poverty? So people talk about poverty a lot, but we don't name the income. So for um, for, for the 48 contiguous states in, in D.C., uh, Alaska has its own. Alaska and Hawaii have their own poverty uh, thresholds that are marginally higher than the other 48 states in D.C. But a one-person household, poverty is defined as earning $14,580 a year. In a household of two, poverty is de- is defined as uh, $19,000. $720. That is $14,580 divided by 52 is $280 a week. $1,000 matters a lot. If poverty is $14,000, I mean, we need to adjust the poverty lot because $280 a week is not a lot of money for one person and you know $300 a week is certainly not a lot of money if you it's you and a kid you know so I, I worry that when we talk about poverty itself people people's understanding of what actual poverty is as it's defined is really off I think what is what's interesting is so first of all this makes me incredibly angry like angry and it is important, Diara, to tell these stories so that people have an understanding. These people who are fighting against these policies don't attach these policies to real people. They're fighting an intellectual battle. And what is galling to me about the intellectual battle that they're fighting is that they're using the very tools that were put in place to support people of color. Like They're using the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment which was passed after the Civil War to protect Black people, to give rights to the formerly enslaved Black people. And now they're flipping that on its head to take things away from us. There's one bright spot in this article to me. Sister Kiara Bridges, who's a Berkeley law professor and anthropologist, and she says that the Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action could actually support the argument that the program is legal. Walk with me for a minute. I'm just going to read this paragraph because it's so just good. The court struck down affirmative action in part because the majority said Harvard and the University of North Carolina failed to show measurable outcomes justifying race consciousness in college admissions. While statistics on potential benefits from the Abundant Birth Project are not publicly available, Bridges and others familiar with the program expect researchers to demonstrate that it saves and improves lives by comparing the health outcomes of families who received the stipends with those of families who did not. The outcomes could justify employing race to choose program participants, Bridges said. Now, kudos to the sister for playing legal games that will actually help us because that's what these crazy conservatives are doing, playing legal games that are imperiling us. But she also says there's another difference between the role of race in college admissions and the role of race in health disparities. She says, if you don't get into Harvard, there's always Princeton or Columbia or Cornell. She said, maternal death, the stakes are a little bit higher. It is galling to me that we have to have our legal scholars trick around with the law and words and research and whatnot just to make sure that Black and Brown and Pacific Islander and whoever else these people serve um, aren't affected by the legal maneuverings of people who 
literally are the reasons why there are racial disparities in healthcare. And it's not just in maternal health. Apparently, the lawsuit is also targeting San Francisco guaranteed income programs, serving artists, transgender people, and Black young adults. Yo, these people are out for our necks, and we have got to act accordingly. You all, my news is around, you know, when I'm not here being a, a legal aficionado, I'm somewhere dancing. Um, I have a lot of friends in my in my life who are choreographers, who are dancers, and this has been a topic that I've always heard them speak about, but now it's in front of my face and it's in front of the, um, the world's face. And I think it's a big deal and I want to get y'all's opinion on it. So, Fortnite, a game that I'm too old to be playing, but Fortnite uses dance moves. <laughs> Inside of the video game, there's a lot of dance moves being made and a choreographer essentially sued the company that distributes Fortnite for copyright infringement, saying that this game is using dance moves that I created. The case was dismissed, and now there's been a movement. Is that the right language, Yara? A movement? There's been a movement for it to be um, reopened and, and, re- and re-examined and hopefully go to trial. I found this interesting because I remember the first time, I want to say a couple of months ago, a few months ago, we brought up Alfonso Rivera was suing because uh, there was a game using his dance moves. And I started feeling that little, that little trink in my in my stomach. And then I thought about the kids on TikTok and the grown people, the people on TikTok who were creating dance moves and who um, were seeing that their dance moves were being were being used and they, and people were profiting and they were not a part of that profit. So it became obvious to me that even though to me in my head, it's a it's a dance move, it's games, what does it matter? This is actually a really big deal because dance moves out of all things have a really hard time being copyrighted, have a really hard time um, showing that there's, there's ownership behind them. And this case is an example of that. I wanted to read some stuff that I thought was the most interesting from the article. We see no reason to treat choreography differently, the court wrote. Reducing choreography to poses would be akin to reducing music to just notes. Choreography is, by definition, a related series of dance movements and patterns organized into a coherent whole. The relationship between those movements and patterns and the choreographer's creative approach of composing and arranging them together is what defines the work. The element of poses on its own is simply not dynamic enough to capture the full range of creative expression of a choreographic work. And just to conclude, the ruling does not mean Hanagami has won the lawsuit. Instead, the appeal, um, the appeals court merely said that the lower court should not have automatically dismissed the case. The two sides will now return to the lower court for more proceedings, potentially including an eventual, tri- eventual trial. So it's, it's, it's not a victory, but it does make you think about what is ownership now that we're in this digital age and there's so much money to be made off of dance moves. There's so many companies who are looking at what's happening with these people, with independent artists who are going straight to the people. That is the, that's the dark side of all the access to independent, of, of independent um, d- uh, distribution that are, that we have now. Whereas if I post something on YouTube or on Instagram, there's not that corporate interest to keep me protected and now we have to create more um laws and we have to see these kind of landmark cases happen where if you're an independent artist and an independent creator you could still protect your work and still try to make a living out of it and i wanted to get you all's opinion on it and i think there's a lot of ways that this doesn't just affect people who are in the dance community, but also people who are in the music community and also people who just speak and people who are create who are doing anything creative on in the um in the public digital sphere to be protected from these corporations who are like, oh, kids like this, let me adopt it and make Sailor Moon do it. And what can you do about it, you know? Well, I'll start. I'm skeptical. And here's let me let me separate let me separate my skepticism. So one, I will say companies profiting off of people's work. Um, clearly, that is problematic, and I am happy to engage in a conversation about you know how that works. Um, however, unless we talk about paying new additions choreographers from back in the day 
who is this little dude and where did he come up with these original dance moves from? The are the, like at the end of the day, oh yeah, uh, like what? Kaya. Are you kidding me? Are you Kaya. kidding me? Well, I want BTS <laughs> to pay New Edition. I want all these people to pay the people who originated these things. And since we can't, we don't know that dude's name. We don't know whatever. We don't even know the writer who told Alfonso Ribeiro, because he didn't create the Carlton dance, is my guess. But somebody did, and we don't know. Now he popularized it. There was probably a writer that was like, you're going to do this nerd dance and all that. And he don't get no money. So... I think that there is a question of originality because, you know, I creativity, it, there are clear cases where you created a work. It is a thing that only you can claim. And then I think there are lots of cases. And again, I'm not I rail. I will rail against the corporate machine. I'm good with that. Let's go. But um Hanagami, tell me where you got this stuff from. Cause you didn't uh, like you were influenced by things, you saw things, you whatever, whatever. And and I think about, you know, I think about Alvin Ailey, right? Which is a pioneering black dance company. And I've seen lots of other dance companies around the world um uh perform moves that I think originated in Ailey, but there's not a you got to pay me or I own this or whatever, whatever. So I don't know how you, I don't know how you establish ownership of a dance move in order to then hold the company accountable, I think would be my perspective on it. I love. And shout out to new additions, choreographers, please big shout out. (laughs) And Janet Jackson's. I love this issue because I love protecting black expression like I just it is so critically important and I think Kaya to your to what you're raising is that yes there is a way like copyright trademark your dance moves and someone who is leading a movement with this is Jaquel Knight so Jaquel is beyond well he's a bunch of people's choreographers but he came up with the single lady the you know what I'm talking about when you're moving your hand uh oh mm-hmm. and so but that but again that that is that that became such iconic so iconic and so identifiable that like yes of course that should be protected expression right and so i think it is so important for choreographers to get into a practice of understanding why it is so important for them to protect protect their work and i think particularly for like for for black choreographers even more so in the other thing that's happening is all the TikTok dancers, right? Like what is happening in terms of black folks creating on TikTok and then a white TikToker picking up a dance move and then the virality happens and then the dollars happen and there's no, you know, there's no acknowledgement of like where Kaya to your port around the original, you know, the original moves where those come from. So I think if we start to get into a practice of folks protecting their work, protecting their work and their expression, I think we could save a lot of heartache in the future, but also just really start to get into, you know, the dance is so important. And I feel like part of why it has not been protected up until this point, because so much of American culture and dance come from black people. Come on. Black people. So I think we really got to get into it because, Kaya, to your point around this, you know, this fella. You know, people say the same thing about my Bruno Mars, but don't be talking about Bruno Mars out here. okay? don't nobody talk about Bruno Mars. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's your hill. That's where I get crazy. But I think it it is okay. you know, it it's it's important for us to like this there's a why, there's a why here and let's get to the why so that we can really start to interrogate why we're finding this concept so hard. Oh, well dance is so hard to figure out who No, it ain't. Nope. Mm-mm. Moonwalk, who did that? I just want to say I agree. That's it. And Kaya's deep reverence for a new edition Honey, is hilarious. If it, to I've, me. Been loving, I've been, been loving. I've been loving. I've been googling. I've been googling in the interim, and Brooke Payne, <laughs> who was New Edition's manager, and Ronnie DeVoe's biological uncle, 
is the choreographer. Ronnie was my favorite one. So y'all break Brooke Payne off a piece of the cash because, yes, he he, he did all of their choreography. Don't started on NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and all them. I'm like, what? Right. No, I Mm. definitely agree with that. And I also think that probably sometimes non-Black people and white people suing for things is usually the Trojan horse that we need in order to yeah. begin those, yes. those other right. conversations. Come on, Miles. Thank so, you, Miles. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so I think that that's really good. And I, and, and I think the conversation around dance is really important because I do think there's nobody, in my opinion, who's a good writer, emphasis on good writer, who's not influenced by, like, a Tony, who's not uh, influenced by Toni Morrison. There's nobody, in my opinion, who's a good musician who is not influenced by Prince. You know, um, emphasis on good. There's a lot of people making music who are not influenced by Prince, but I would argue that the music's not that good. But I think that with dance, there's it's harder to, like, <clears throat> build that connection of, okay, what is, like... Um, reasonable influence because you are in the culture and what is copying somebody and what is stealing from somebody. And I think that it's, it might be, is comp- maybe it is complicated, but I think that we have to dive in and figure that out and, 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 and read some more lawsuits, lawsuits about it. <laughs> the other thing, this is what I'll say. This is my like zooming out lens is that capitalism really is just a, uh, insert bad word here because I know a lot of people who create beautiful things as a gift to the culture. I think about probably, you know, the new edition dance, like they create this beautiful form of expression as a way to push the boundaries, as a way to, you know, uh, encapsulate a moment as a way to communicate an idea, never thinking that a person owns it, that it is like a ownable thing, some things. And then you get a, 23 year old who's like it's mine and you're like well wait a minute buddy not I, not only is it not yours but i thought it was everybody like I, I i didn't even put it out in the world with the idea that it was even ownable but then now you gotta fight in the legal system because you certainly aren't gonna let joe schmo the 10 year old own it who who is a who's copying a copy of a thing you did that took you forever to make? Exactly, and it just is just a brutal process. The way that uh, the idea that everything is to be owned and that we set up a system that allows that to happen, uh, what it does to art and just thought is really unfortunate. Well, Dere, that connects to what I was saying even last week around minstrelsy and the idea of that you're just doing something for the culture. You have to know what the culture is built on. Like, in, the entertainment is built on minstrelsy, on 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 uh, people being exploited. So don't gift anything to the culture because the culture is built on stealing your stuff <laughs> and built on it exploiting you. So don't just gift something to this green-eyed monster called the culture. Be, we have to be realistic about what we're creating and who we're giving it to and what we need to do to protect what we're giving it to don't just get it's it's the culture is not your great grandma who thinks you cute in the kitchen dancing the culture is a monster waiting to exploit you but miles isn't it that our culture is not that right isn't this like the whole push of black feminism black American that, like, culture that like that there's oh. a there's a part of community that is, that is not about i don't know i just wasn't raised in a family where everything was like you know i we shared a lot of stuff you know like that was i just won't concede that like that the culture that raised me was rooted, like the people that raised me was like everything was some crazy ownership thing. If anything, I'm like, how many people are going to live at grandma's house? I'm like, please, somebody buy something because we are all crammed at grandma's house. I don't know. I just I feel like we grew up sharing. And is not this the push of black feminism that everything is not something to be sold and commodified and that community is a good in and of itself? And um, and, and like what happens when like everything including people and relationships and emotions are owned and and used for some purpose. So I think once you start applying that private intimate reality of warmth into the public domain, then you're creating a fantasy. So once you put press upload into YouTube, once you press upload into Instagram, once you press tweet, you are now putting that warm fantasy that happened with at your grandma's house into the cold white monster machine. And we have to stop pretending that that's not what's happening. So if you want to c- maintain that reality, you have to keep it off the internet. You have to keep it off the media. You have to keep it off of um, uh, keep it out of Hollywood. But once we start doing that, then we have 
to then say, no, I'm I'm creating this this thing. And then we also, as Black people, when we do that, have to admit to ourselves that we do things that are warm and great. And we, um, because of sometimes because of poverty, we immediately think about how can we profit from it. it it's you're you're making me um, reminding me of Jabria, the little girl who went viral, who was so cute, and uh, her parents started getting a lot of backlash because she's what did happen as soon as Jabria and we all know a little cute five year old girl, six year old girl, seven year old girl who just dances and sings, but as soon as it uploaded to TikTok and as soon as the numbers came back, then. Where's the song? Where are the television appearances? Then it became a business. That's what happens when you upload things into the corporate entities. It becomes businesses. And if you're not ready to become a business, you you will get exploited. So either you get ready or you keep it at your grandma's house. Realistically. In my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) That's the t-shirt. Get ready. Get ready or keep it at your grandma's house. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in to Bye Save the People this week. Don't forget to follow us at Cricket Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode of Pod Save the People, consider dropping us a review on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you next week. Pod Save the People is a production of Cricket Media. It's produced by AJ Moultrie and mixed by Vasilis Futopoulos. Executive produced by me and special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles E. Johnson. <laughs>